Chapter Four of the Mutiny of the Elsinore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mutiny of the Elsinore by Jack London. Chapter Four. The contrast as I entered the cabin was startling. All contrasts aboard the Elsinore promised to be startling. Instead of the cold, hard deck, my feet sank into soft carpet. In place of the mean and narrow room, built of naked iron, where I had left the lunatic, I was in a spacious and beautiful apartment. With the bawling of men's voices still in my ears, and with the pictures of their drink-puffed and filthy faces still vivid under my eyelids, I found myself greeted by a delicate-faced, prettily gowned woman who sat beside a lacquered oriental table on which rested an exquisite tea-service of canton china all was repose and calm the steward noiseless-footed expressionless was a shadow scarcely noticed that drifted into the room on some service and drifted out again not at once could i relax and miss west serving my tea laughed and said you look as if you have been seeing things the steward tells me a man has been overboard i fancy the cold water must have sobered him i resented her unconcern the man is a lunatic i said this ship is no place for him he should be sent ashore to some hospital i am afraid if we begin that we'd have to send two-thirds of our complement ashore one lump yes please i answered but the man has terribly wounded himself he is liable to bleed to death she looked at me for a moment her gray eyes serious and scrutinizing as she passed me my cup then laughter welled up in her eyes and she shook her head reprovingly now please don't begin the voyage by being shocked mr pathurst such things are very ordinary occurrences you'll get used to them you must remember some queer creatures go down to the sea in ships the man is safe trust mr pike to attend to his wounds i've never sailed with mr pike but i've heard enough about him mr pike is quite a surgeon last voyage they say he performed a successful amputation and so elated was he that he turned his attention on the carpenter who happened to be suffering from some sort of indigestion Mr. Pike was so convinced of the correctness of his diagnosis that he tried to bribe the carpenter into having his appendix removed. She broke off to laugh heartily, then added, They say he offered the poor man just pounds and pounds of tobacco to consent to the operation. But is it safe for the, the working of the ship, I urged, to take such a lunatic along? she shrugged her shoulders as if not intending to reply then said this incident is nothing there are always several lunatics or idiots in every ship's company and they always come aboard filled with whiskey and raving i remember once when we sailed from seattle a long time ago one such madman he showed no signs of madness at all just calmly seized two boarding-house runners and sprang overboard with them we sailed the same day before the bodies were recovered again she shrugged her shoulders what would you the sea is hard mr pathurst and for our sailors we get the worst type of men i sometimes wonder where they find them and we do our best with them and somehow manage to make them help us carry on our work in the world but they are low low 
as i listened and studied her face contrasting her woman's sensitivity and her soft pretty dress with the brute faces and rags of the men i had noticed i could not help being convinced intellectually of the rightness of her position nevertheless i was hurt sentimentally chiefly i do believe because of the very hardness and unconcern with which she enunciated her view it was because she was a woman and so different from the sea creatures that i resented her having received such harsh education in the school of the sea i could not help remarking your father's er er sang-froid during the occurrence i ventured he never took his hands from his pockets she cried her eyes sparkled as i nodded confirmation i knew it it's his way i've seen it so often i remember when i was twelve years old mother was alone we were running into san francisco it was in the dixie a ship almost as big as this there was a strong fair wind blowing and father did not take a tug we sailed right through the golden gate and up the san francisco waterfront there was a swift flood tide too and the men both watches were taking in sail as fast as they could now the fault was the steamboat captain's he miscalculated our speed and tried to cross our bow then came the collision and the dixie's bow cut through the steamboat cabin and hull there were hundreds of passengers men women and children father never took his hands from his pockets he sent the mate forward to supervise rescuing the passengers who were already climbing up to our bowsprit and forecastle head and in a voice no different from what he'd used to ask someone to pass the butter he told the second mate to set all sail and he told him which sails to begin with but why set more sails i interrupted because he could see the situation don't you see the steamboat was cut wide open all that kept her from sinking instantly was the bow of the dixie jammed into her side by setting more sail and keeping before the wind he continued to keep the bow of the dixie jammed i was terribly frightened people who had sprung or fallen overboard were drowning on each side of us right in my sight as we sailed along up the waterfront but when i looked at father there he was just as i had always known him hands in pockets walking slowly up and down now giving an order to the wheel you see he had to direct the dixie's course through all the shipping now watching the passengers swarming over our bow and along our deck now looking ahead to see his way through the ships at anchor sometimes he did glance at the poor drowning ones but he was not concerned with them of course there were numbers drowned but by keeping his hands in his pockets and his head cool he saved hundreds of lives not until the last person was off the steamboat he sent men aboard to make sure did he take off the press of sail and the steamboat sank at once she ceased and looked at me with shining eyes for approbation it was splendid i acknowledged i admire the quiet man of power though i confess that such quietness under stress seems to me almost unearthly and beyond human i can't conceive of myself acting that way and i am confident that i was suffering more while that poor devil was in the water than all the rest of the onlookers put together father suffers she defended loyally only he does not show it i bowed for i felt she had missed my point 
End of chapter 4